Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Amazon's Black Stories, where we highlight the stories of black designers, creatives, and researchers from all around the world. I'm your host, Justin James Lopez, and today I'm joined by Antoinette Tone Houston, where we talk about the importance of resilience and making sure you find balance in all of the spaces in your life. Let's hear her story. So, Tony, thank you for joining me. Honestly, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, and that's not, a, that's not a dig at any other episode that I've done. But uh, honestly, this, this is one of the, the episodes I've been really looking forward to because you are like you're one of the most creative people that I've met um, in, in the mm. sense that you wear so many hats, right? You're outside of your professional experience as a, a principal user experience architect, which is, you know, not, not something that a lot of people can say <laughs> to begin yeah. with, right? Aside from that, you also, you know, you work as, you know, a lyricist, a spoken mm-hmm. word artist, model, actress, what is it, author, yeah. Um, yeah. as well as what more recently animator. So like, animator. it's almost like, yeah. Any, yeah, it's almost like anything that you want to do, you just say, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and, and do that. And then you are really good at it is another thing. Thank right? you. It's not just because there's tons of people that just say, I'm a, these are all titles that I, I hold, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also CEO because I started an LLC <laughs> that I don't do anything about, right? So right, like, right, it's right. Not, that's not the case here. So that's yeah. why I've been really excited for this one. But for the, for the audience members that haven't like ran into any of your work, mm-hmm. um, talk, to, talk to me a little bit about how you would define yourself, right? Because you have so many hats that you wear. Yeah, I would, I would call myself a creative, you know, mm. I, think, I, think for, I think that is probably the best umbrella sort of term that I can think of, right? Because even within UX engineering, there's a creative element to that that I've always been drawn to, right? Um, and then when you add in the music and the entertainment and animation and yeah, I'm a podcaster as well. All right. Um, I, I think oh, I, think I missed that, that one. No, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you never know, you, you know. Um, yeah. But no, I think I think. No, I don't think I know that I, I definitely define myself as as a creator and a creative in whatever space, in whatever yeah. space. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think that that's, that's something I agree with from a you perspective. Right. Because right. it really is like everything you touch, you touch from this creative lens. And I'm trying to figure out like what the origin point for, for that is, right? Because one of the things that really touches me personally is mm-hmm. like your experiencing your work with, with poetry. Because it's something mm-hmm. that in my life was one of the earliest components that allowed me to feel like... I can kind of break out of this shell. Like here I am. I was always a person that was semi-popular. Right? I knew a lot of people. A lot of people mm-hmm. knew. I would say this. A lot of people knew who I was, but mm-hmm. not a lot of people knew me because I didn't really know how to express that. Right? And right. I think that right. poetry really helped with that for me. And that's something that's been really big on, you know, in your space as well. For and sure. I want to draw these parallels. But, Let's draw them. But I wanted to learn yeah. more about your story in that space too, because it is something that is such a, um, a vulnerability component, right? For allowing people to, to really open up in that way. But it takes a lot of knowing yourself and knowing how to say that thing. So where did that start for you? I started as early as seven. And at the time, I, 
I would just write my feelings down in my diary. I didn't know mm. what I was creating. I didn't know that those were poems. I didn't even know the word poem or poetry, right? But I knew that I had all these feelings about just things that were going on in my household and my environment and me growing as a, a, a young woman and a young lady. And um, it's certain things that I wanted to verbally say that I couldn't say because I don't think that would have been respectful, even if it was just certain questions that I had about like, why are things happening the way that they're happening? And I found that writing was just an outlet for me to find my voice mm-hmm. and to hone my voice as well not even knowing that that's what I was doing. I just wanted to get it out. And so it was really like a release for me. And then I didn't share it. I just wrote it and put it away. And it wasn't until, I don't know, probably a few years later that I ended up, my mom encouraged me to, where we were living at at the time, they would have these like summer, I guess, talent shows. And so she was like, you should go, you should, you know, perform. And I'm like, I don't perform what? I don't do anything. And I guess she had been reading my diary or or whatever. And Trust she was issues, like, right? <laughs> See, this is where it stems from, right? Yeah. Um, and and anyway, she said, no, you, ha- you have great raps. I was like, what? Mm. I, I don't, what are you talking about? And she was like, do this one. And either way, it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was, a, it was a rap. I don't know the whole thing, but I remember it started, um, my name is Tony. I live on Stony. I used to live on, Sto- yeah. on Stony Island here in <laughs> Chicago. And anyway, I'm going up against these 15, 16 year olds that at the time I'm thinking they're grown because I'm, I don't know, nine. Mm-hmm. I come in second place in that, nice. in that competition. And I remember the feeling of hearing the claps and seeing the smiles in the audience faces and, you know, cheering my name. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I like it. I like, I like this feeling. And if my writing and if my voice keeps giving me this, I want more of whatever this is, right? Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, it just, I started to to learn more about poetry and literature and the difference between, you know, literary poetry and spoken word and slam poetry and all these different facets, right? And I just became more fascinated with that and more confident in the stories that I was telling, whether they were more personal stories or just stories from just the environments that I was seeing and wanted to speak about. Right. And mm-hmm. shed light to certain things. And then it just became relatable to people where people started. Then I started g- growing a fan base around that. And it was like, oh, so it just happened organically from a little girl just trying to release herself. Yeah, no, I think that that's I, I, I can't ignore that slam poetry actually was born in Chicago. I want to say it? in like thought, the 70s I thought, I thought it was or New 80s. York. Was it? No, okay. no, no. So so like beat. So like the beat movement. Which is, because uh, I, so, and I'll tell you why I know this. It's like, how do you know this stuff? Because I'm from the East Coast. I'm from the Jersey tri-state area. So like Jersey, Philly, okay. New York. Um, okay. The beat movement for sure started as far as just like using like words to express themselves. Okay. But it was more of like what we would call like literary traditional poetry. And some mm-hmm. people maybe would say it out loud, but the slam poetry of the way we see it now, even when when you think of like the point system, like they completely broke down that idea of like you can't judge art because it was like, well, we got mm-hmm. this slam poetry event and we judging right. the hell out of this art. Like, <laughs> right, right. That, that was yeah, that was in Chicago. I think a little bit later, like that was around like the 1970s and 80s, mm, where that kind of that whole thing. So I was just like, man, how how did this impact? And it sounds like it just like naturally just being in that yeah. space. Yeah, yeah, I mean, born, born and raised in Chicago, and uh, for any for any Chicago ones that hear this, I'm sorry for not knowing that point. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, it just it just naturally it just naturally because no one else in my family mm. does 
does anything creative. They're all in like the medical field. So they're heroes, right? In, mm-hmm. in, in, in every regard. But yeah, I was, I was the only one that was just like, there's something here, right? And um, I just wanted to, to keep pursuing that. And luckily, I was, I guess, quote unquote, good enough where it just kept resonating with people, uh, which kept motivating me. And, you know, eventually it came into me, it turned poetry, turned into um, rap and, and rap has turned into working on my third album. And so it's like, yada, yeah. yada, yada, you know, it just kind of keeps building. And it, it's a blessing. I'm, I, I thank God for the favor, for sure. So how did yeah. you go from this space, which seems like if you're starting at seven and if I'm, yeah. I'm an outsider reading your autobiography, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, pay, chapter one, chapter two. How did mm-hmm. you get then to moving into UX as a profession. Yeah, that's that's like chapter 10. It's just yeah, like, right. oh, like, what I'm happened? Like, yeah, that's here? crazy. Spoiler alert. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think what happened was, okay, so all through grammar school, I'm still into writing. I'm dedicating myself to all of these different speech arts competitions and I'm learning about Maya Angelou and Langston Hughes and Nick Giovanni. And I'm just I'm building this base up of like, I'm going to be a writer. And then my family is like, well, there's no money in writing. I'm like, what? What do you mean? You know, this is like, yeah, not so much. And so I know I didn't want to do medical um, or healthcare because I just, I'm very, very sensitive. And I just didn't feel like I, I think there is a, a empathy that obviously has to come with that field. Mm-hmm. But there's also some, some thick skin that has to come with that as well. And I just, just hearing their stories, I was like, that's, I don't think I'm going to do well in that, in that field. So then I said, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer because I obviously like to talk and I like to talk about the truth and what is what. And so maybe this will you know, be a part of conviction. And then I don't know. It just I said it, but I didn't really have any any roots underneath that to really go with that. And so um, I said, well, I do like computers. My mom got me my first computer when I was seven as well. And mm-hmm. I said, I like figuring things out and 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 kind of like this whole analytical side of like how why things work the way that they work right so not only just the world and personal interactions but also within systems and process i found myself loving that too and so when i researched that at 9 or 10 i was like there's money in computers there's money in technology mm-hmm. right and i just knew from a very young age that technology was not going anywhere ever Right. I didn't obviously know it was going to be as big as it continues to be, but I just figured it was going to be um, a path. And so I started on that path. Right. Mm-hmm. And in that path, it led me to developing the development because I felt like, well, you have to build stuff. Right. So I'll just be a developer. And you couldn't have told me different. I got my first job at Motorola. Um, I stayed with them for a number of years. I, I liked what I was doing there until I didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And then once I didn't, I knew I wanted to stay within tech. My question to myself was, what can I do that's still within tech, that's not development, that's a little bit more social, but still allows me to figure out, really still investigate human behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And why why do people do what they do? Why do they use systems that they use? Why are these systems working how they're working? And that's when I learned about, uh, at the time, it was called human-computer interaction mm-hmm. here at DePaul University. And... Uh, I fell in love with it. I took one class and was like, oh my God, this is common sense. Like, why, why am I not doing this? Like, why are not more people doing this? Yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it. So I love the fact that I had the development background and I love the fact that I didn't have to stop doing 
poetry and writing and all of that stuff. And I could still have all of these different things. But I really was working with both of my brains. Like I could go to a slam poetry set after class and college, but then I could also be in the computer lab, you know, for the first half of the day. And I felt the same love, Mm -hmm. like within myself, like the same satisfaction. And that's how I knew I was on the right path. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, I was about to say that. I'm like, man, when you talk about using your left brain, right brain, you like you mastered that because a lot of people don't. They lean in one way and they, you know, either they burn out or or whatever. But talking about that topic, how do you find balance in all of these things, right? Even what you describe of like having like this mutual love on both sides, this like analytical, rational, logical side and this more Mm -hmm. creative, free side. And being able to jump in between those worlds in almost like a cognitive code switch way. How do you do that without feeling like you're overwhelming yourself? Or maybe you, you know, maybe you do feel that sometimes. But I, I, I think what I found was balance mm. within both, right? So when you talk about the cognitive code switch, I think initially I, I kind of had that. And I think that's when I would burn myself out of like, no, I have to do this. No, I have to do this. You know, and people that knew me over there on the creative side, knew nothing about the fact that I worked in STEM. My friends in STEM knew nothing about this other, you know, creative side. And I was like literally living my life that way of of not bridging the two. And when I finally said, wait a minute, there is a very creative element to the engineering work that I do here, right? There's a very empathetic sort of approach that at least I take to UX where I'm I'm really looking for those very intangible elements of why and how and what users are doing with this technology, right? Mm. And so to me, you have to have a sort of creative palette for that because knowing that no user is like me, right? I'm not like any other person. And so we need to kind of come into that design thinking with that sort of thinking. Now, let's switch that. There's also a logical, in my opinion, a logical sort of rational element to writing, right? If I'm writing a poem or if I'm writing a song, if I'm writing a rap, to me, like, I'm not just going to throw words together all willy-nilly. Like, there's a certain Mm -hmm. logic that kind of comes to me when I'm trying to create this story in a way that I hope is relatable or at least true to me. So I found balance in both those worlds. And that's what even now currently allows me not to burn out because I'm like, okay, let's not make one greater than the other, Let's continue to find balance as we, as we, as an I, as an Antoinette, um, continue on in both of these spaces until, if I choose, I choose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge. I had to take some therapy for that one, to yeah, be honest, okay. because because it did, it didn't. I didn't just wake up like like it. It really took some like meditation and just talking to other people in the space, other women that look like me, and it wasn't a lot of them, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. when I found them, I would I would cling to them. Because I was just like, I want to make sure that I'm not overthinking or underthinking my own path, yeah. right? My own journey, my own truth. So, no, oh, I mean that's that's powerful, and I think it it is it's real because a lot of folks, even like black men, can't really relate to that specific aspect of it because, mm-hmm. you know, one black is not a monolith, right? And it, and it it, it, yep. it comes in so many different shades, shapes, forms, and and spaces based on. A lot of things that we don't talk about openly in corporate America, but the, right. the reality is like, um, one, thank you for your vulnerability there. I do think what you're saying though makes a lot of sense with being able to find that balance and understanding one of the core bridges between those two worlds is really just that empathy gap, right? That idea yep. that, 
And even stretching back to the, the roots in, in poetry and writing your, your raps, as your mom would say. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when you think about like, I think I personally think great poetry and even like from going to slams and from like being a part of slams in Philly and like really leaning into like what's what which poem was better like how do who, how do we decide who wins a lot of it comes down to perspective taking right like how can you say a thing in a way that allows the people in the audience cuz it's like you know it's dope but it's but you're not judging Fingers you, crossed. Right? Fingers <laughs> yeah, exactly. crossed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, sometimes yeah. we do. Sometimes yeah. we're just completely naive. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but in another world, you got to think there are other people existing in this space. And to one of your earlier points, the key component there is helping to be relatable, right? Like, mm-hmm. how can I say this thing that everyone understands in a way that's like unique? And, and that's where that creativity comes in. But also yeah. that also bleeds into the work you do in understanding that user experience, right? Because it's like Absolutely. if you were creating, if I was creating it for me, mm-hmm. then I don't need user research. I don't need user studies, usability studies or anything right. like that because I know how I'm using it. But right. that's where many of these companies and that's where the gap that you fill almost in, in you know, people in your space, that gap mm-hmm. that you fill is helping companies not make that fatal mistake. <laughs> but like that, but that those parallels matter in a, it takes a long time for a lot of people. Some people never figured that out. They spend all mm-hmm. of their time in the, you know, in a job that they hate, dreaming about a thing that they love doing over here. And it's brutal to see that happen and to see the impacts of that. So yeah. or sometimes man. just like not like I, I ran across a young lady who currently works for the company that I work for, but it's funny because I was doing a a, a version of like a TED talk for them. And I was talking about this research framework that I had created called the AEIOU. And anyway, I'm talking about it. I'm taking questions and all of this. And fast forward, I guess she joins, you know, the company and she reaches out to me and I'm like, oh, great. And she tells me this story of how she was an attendee of this particular talk. And she'd ask some questions. Obviously, I mean, I didn't remember her name because it was like so many questions kind of coming in. But she was like, hearing you and seeing you. And as a result of that, I guess, seeing that it is possible for me to be a Black woman in this space of UX to work for that type of company and do this type of work, right? And be on a platform that they allow not only a woman of color, but just, you know, a woman of color that's not necessarily came through this in like in a traditional way, right? Mm -hmm. And not necessarily talking about you know, certain design principles or research principles in a traditional way, right? I've always kind of created my own lane. I kind of do my own thing. And fortunately, the companies that I have worked for appreciate that, right? If they didn't, I wouldn't be there, right? So for her to see that and cling to that and then have that motivate her to say, I'm just going to go ahead and apply, right? Mm. And take that chance again on herself. That was powerful for me to even know that I had impacted, you know, her directly or indirectly in that way. And so as we're conversing, I just realized that that's a way to be relatable as well, right? So I'm relatable in my writing. I'm relatable, hopefully, in the work that I'm doing in in UX design and research. And hopefully what I'm providing is relatable to that end user and that stakeholder and that person using that technology. Mm -hmm. But I'm also relatable to a whole culture, right, of women that are looking at me and saying, I've never really seen someone with that background do that, or I've never really heard it talked about, whatever that is, talked about in that in that way, or just someone having joy 
under the umbrella of UX when it is such a male-dominated and white male-dominated field, right? So those sort of stories, even if it's just one a year, one every two years, they always come at a point in my life where it's like, okay, it's time for me to keep going with that, right? When I think maybe, nope, okay, this, this is showing and having value in this space. Yeah. That's why I do what I do. That's why I keep trying to look for balance across everything. If we talk about the poetry and the music, you think I wouldn't do that if I could? If I could, if I could make the living that I make in engineering, if I could make that in entertainment, sure I would do that. You know, you, you I don't do it for for the money. I do it for the passion of it and mm-hmm. I love it. But if I could, but right when I just say, well, I'm just gonna go ahead and focus on UX, something comes up that says, no, 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 right? I want you to speak for this youth group. Well, I want to, you know, I want you to, I want you to be on this record. I want you to perform here for this thing. Every time. Those are the things that at least I listen to in my life to say, okay, God is telling me to keep going. Mm-hmm. God is telling me to keep that faith in me, right? That still stems from balance. That still stems from having empathy of myself to say like, have some patience with yourself. Everything is not going to be right on your time. Yeah. And that's okay. Man, but the idea of giving yourself grace is is so difficult for so many of us, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we have this this standard that no doubtably is pushed on us through the younger ages of of how the world teaches us to treat ourselves, and right. we never we never then go back to that lesson and go, well, I want to teach the world how to treat me instead, which right. is sounds right. like a transition that you made. And yeah. on that topic, like of being in this space that is white, mainly white male dominated. And being comfortable in the skin that you're in, in the way that you can be like, because most people would, you know, they wouldn't even try to spread themselves thin in a space like this because they're like, man, I don't want any excuse for people to think that I'm less than or think that Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, serious about it. So how did you find that strength? Because I think that that's something that I think could really help a lot of people, myself included, not even being a black woman, like myself included. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's something that I think about. And I have conversations with like plenty of people about about that concept of existing in this space where, as you mentioned, there wasn't even that many people that looked like you that had that representation that you felt like you can go to. So you had to cling on to them. Mm-hmm. And right, even to this day, where in within the UX space, where it's three still three percent black total. That's not even black that's women. Tough. That's just black total. Does any of the upbringing, being in a family like you, because you mentioned being in a family that, from the medical field that was mm-hmm. empathetic, but also had that thick skin, right. did any of that rub into you to help you in this space, like moving moving through this? For sure. Because on top of that, at least on like my mom's side of the family, it's 99.9% women, right? Mm-hmm. The men that we see are, you know, coming in as, you know, boyfriends or whatever, like it's all women. And that could be a little intimidating because we're not women that are, you know, stereotypically emotional per se. Like I'm probably one of the most emotional out of all of my family. We're talking about four or five generations, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have, when growing up, I I learned that you you have to have tough skin. You know, people make certain comments or whatever. Got to toughen up, Tony. It's like, okay. And you don't think you take that with you into the workplace. But for me, I absolutely did. So when I started, I didn't meet another woman of color in terms of working with and or management into my third full-time position, right? So I'm coming. And let's be clear, my first college I attended was Illinois State University, ISU, for two years, but I graduated from DePaul. So I came from, okay, not a lot of us, but, you know, we kind of clung to one another at ISU, to DePaul, 
even less. And mm-hmm. I was the only black woman that graduated in the top 5% of that class the year that I graduated. Mm-hmm. Where are we? Is what I was saying to myself. Like, like the dean of computer science knew my name. Mm-hmm. And that was crazy. <laughs> and it might not yeah. have just been because I was so smart, quote unquote. It likely was because I'm the only. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Right? So, fast forward. Okay. I'm in Motorola. Not any women, all men in terms of the area that I was working in. Okay, so that, that's three years. That's tough. That's real tough. So then I'm working for another, another company. It's a few more women, not of color, right? So now, you know, I get to my third job, which was all state. And I'm like, this is like the land of milk and honey. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's black women galore. And I was yeah. working for an area called um, Enterprise Applications. So to today, like I still talk to one of my mentors who was, he was my ex-manager from Allstate, but it was like 80% women, black women running it, doing it like sharp, can communicate well on multiple degrees. Just, I'm just like, this is what I've been looking for. It just took me five years out of college to get it, but okay, great. And so I say all that to say, it's like, the skin that I had to have early on allowed me to make it, to just sustain and breathe and, again, stay hopeful that, okay, at one point, even if I have to be that door that opens it up, somebody has to let more of us in, right? This is just getting ridiculous. And even at Allstate, I was still the only one that was doing UX because they mm-hmm. were all doing either programming or um, QA testing or something like that. So I was still the only one, but at least I wasn't the only one. You get the content, right? So I'm like, okay, great. But even still, like, I've only had two Black women managers throughout the course of my career. And we're talking 20 years. Mm. 20 years. So I don't know about you, but that saddens me still, right? Which is why I keep the thick skin because I just know that it's not easy for us for whatever reason. And I'm not saying woe is me, but Mm -hmm. I'm saying it won't be me. Huh. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to do what I have to yeah. do, right? Um, but I'm also going to be empathetic. Again, this is the theme of, of today where if I see another young lady who's going to ask a question about UX or going to ask a question about poetry or ask a question about animation or ask a question about writing or ask a question about whatever I can provide her, I'm blessed enough to be able to do that and hopefully, if not open the door, create one for her to understand that there is room for you, even if you have to make it yourself, because I did. Man, that's a word right there. I think the beauty of your story is that you, your sheer existence is motivating and opens those doors. And I remember hearing one of my mentors, because I come from a, a mixed background. And mm-hmm. so it's even, for me, it's like, what does seeing me represented look like? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Right. Like I don't like right. I don't I, I can't define. I don't know how to define that. Like just yet. Like I'm kind of formulating that, but mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I remember kind of talking to one of my mentors uh years back about it and just like trying to figure that out. Cause I had so I was the first person to go to college in my family and I went mm-hmm. to Villanova University, right? So it's okay. like I went from growing up in a city where I'm the only white people I knew were two teachers in the in the police. That's the only, like that's it. Like we don't that <laughs> And I go yeah. from there to 
you know, and we didn't have money to be traveling and stuff like that. So yeah. for me, my bubble got burst as soon as I got to Villanova and I realized, oh, the world doesn't look like me mm-hmm. at all. And even the people that look like me, they don't act like me. They don't talk like me. They don't even accept me. So I was trying to figure out where is my place here? Mm-hmm. And when I finally started to break out, I graduated, you know, and I, like I went there, you know, I went there for my undergrad and master's because I was mm-hmm. like, if I'm, I'm just going to do the damn thing. I'm, I'm just going right. to keep going. And I was talking to my mentor because like the next level was getting to corporate America. When I got to corporate America, I realized, oh, this is a, I thought that was hard. That, you know, that <laughs> a culture shock was hard. This is another mm-hmm. culture shock. Yeah. And when I, when I did that, I, I wanted to go home. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I just want to go home. This ain't for me. I and it. my mentor, I remember him saying, is this what breaks you? Mm. Her, but that was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I came back, you know, I came back a couple of days later and I talked to him. And I was like, you know what? What did you mean by that? Because mm-hmm. I, I know what I heard, but I right. want to know what you were saying. Right. And what he, what he told me, he said, listen, you've been through so much. And there's so many other people that are going to come behind you. And he re- reminded me of this poem called Bridge Builder. And it's a very long poem, so I'm just going to let people go look it up. <laughs> like, okay. But the core concept of it is like, there's this man, who, old man, who's building a bridge by himself in the, in, over, a, over a raging river. And he spends his whole life building this bridge, right? Mm-hmm. And then this young man, when, right when he's done, this young man comes behind him and goes, why are you building a bridge here? Like, you're never going to be able to cross this way. Like you're gonna, you're you're basically gonna die. You're old, and he mm-hmm. said, "Well, this bridge wasn't for me. It was for you." <laughs> and wow. and it was like, and that's selfish. I know it can be some selfish to ask that of people, but that's what he said. He said, "Is this what breaks you? Because you've been through all of the hard parts, and and every level has its own devil. So, mm-hmm. but you can continue to grow and get stronger and build in that way. Because if you give up here, then all you're doing is making it so that the next person." has a harder role to play to continue to move. And unfortunately, we don't get that luxury of being able to speak for ourselves, being Mm -hmm. able to represent ourselves. We're constantly, uh, you know, representing every single person that looks like us, even though we don't get to see them in the room. Right, (laughs) right, right. So like, that's just what I feel when I was learning about your story, even before this conversation. Like when I was learning about your story, that's what I felt. It's like, you've been opening doors for people that have no idea that you've been opening doors for them. And That part. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just went yeah. off there, but you know, I wanted no, that, to say that, that. That that's a word. That's true. And it's yeah, I think early on I did it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Right? Because just because it was it was a door. I mean, one of the first doors I think I think I opened was after Allstate. I was there almost 3 years. And I loved it, like I said, because of who people I was working with, the environment. It was like, okay, I'm going to be here. Like this is it. And then I ended up getting an opportunity to work for the CIA. Mm. And... Uh, oh, can we talk about this? We're going to have to edit uh, this out? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, we can. No, we, we can. can. All right. Yeah, we can. I'm not going to tell you what I did for them, but I, right. I, just, I got the opportunity to, to work for them. And, um, and it was amazing, right? But it was like a choice that I... Like, that was the first time that I... Well, no, second time that I um, just walked away from, from a job, right? Um, mm-hmm. And... A job that I liked, a job that welcomed me, a job that I, I I saw people that looked like me every day and they were encouraging and I learned so much. I walked away from that to one, work for an environment that I had never worked for before, which, mm-hmm. you know, was government. 
All I knew was what I saw on TV, which definitely never saw any of us on on the TV screens working for the agency. But something told me I needed to open that door or create that door, right? I needed to do that. And I'm so glad that I did because when I did, I did see, I did, it was a sense of, it was a small community, but it was a community of us nonetheless. And that just turned my whole trajectory around in terms of how I saw myself as a woman, a black woman in this world. Coming from Chicago and moving down to DC. Like that was just like, okay, this is all right. My taste of East Coast. Like, what? Mm-hmm. All right, was just a whole different energy to use a slang word, swag. Just, yeah. just a whole different. And I learned my wealth in mm-hmm. DC and Northern Virginia. Like, I, I thought I was making some pretty good money here in Chicago. Then you get down there, and it's like, you doing what with what? And why are you not? Like, where is your LLC? Like, why are you not? It's like, wait, huh? Wait a minute. How many certifications do I need now? Wait, hold on. Slow mm-hmm. down. And so by me creating, right, and opening that door up for myself, I met so many people that changed this directory of my life in terms of how I saw myself in this world, which then allowed me to then be very intentional with the doors that I was opening up, right? And those meetings that I were attending, those conversations that I was electing to have, so whether or not you were talking to me or not, I had something to say. I had a question. I had a thought. I had a, and I was still the, I was definitely the only mm-hmm. at the agency. Definitely. Right. And Southside Chicago in these meetings, suited and booted, right. <laughs> Probably looking much younger than I am. And they just thought I was going to kind of go with the flow. And I mm. didn't. Because again, coming from that Allstate experience, I'm like, no, no, no. I can speak up. Even if I don't necessarily know the answer, I can, I can do that, right? And so every experience in my life, I can say, has groomed me for the next, even without me knowing that that's what that was for. And so when someone says, thank you for creating that space for me, or thank you because, because I saw you, I was able to do this, or because I read this of yours, I was able to have, you know, whatever inspiration I needed for myself. Like that's, I don't take those situations lightly, Because I didn't have that for so many years for myself, you know? Man, uh, that's powerful. Like, I'm, there's very few times where I I can, I I lose the words, right? (laughs) I'll say this. To hear the weight that you carry and to hear how you carry it with so much grace, with so much lack of resentment, right? Because I... I think like mm-hmm. at every turn when I hear like all of the things and all of these trials, which they're not old trials, right? Because I still hear like friends of mine that are still dealing with these spaces that change their lives completely. Like they make different decisions, the decisions right. that you've made, they don't continue. You know, they say this isn't for me or, or all of these things. So it's like for you to carry with so much grace and without building all of that resentment that weighs us down it's really yeah. powerful. But I wanted to, you know, as in closing here, just kind of give you some space to give whatever advice you can on that. Like, how do, how do you do that? Like, how can, and I know you talk about like the whole finding balance and the mm-hmm. therapy thing, which we need to talk about more. Like as a community, we need to mm-hmm. talk about that more. But like, what advice do you have to the next generation that is finding themselves stuck with a lot of these trials and tribulations of being the only, of not feeling represented, not feeling supported and mm-hmm. being able to carry that with grace and without building all of that resentment? What I learned was, and I guess this came from, from college, from, again, started at, at DePaul because, again, it was their HCI program at the time when I attended was, it just it wasn't a lot 
this wasn't a lot of people of color, male or female. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that could have been the point right there where I just said, okay, forget it. I'm I'm going back to ISU. I'm going to HBCU or something. Like, this is just crazy, right? But I think I realized early on, and it couldn't have been nothing but just my faith, right? And God just that just told me not only to not, you know, give up, but you're looking for this support, Antoinette. But what if you were meant to be the one to give the support? And when I took that in, and not in a, yeah, I'm going to be the, not in that sort of way, but more so in a, yeah, like, if something is not there, are we going to starve? Are we just going to stand there? No, like, we're going to create it. We're going to make it happen. Like, I think just as a culture, history has shown that we are resilient. So why would I stop going to class? Or why would I have this resentment about, it's like, okay, this is my opportunity then. Mm-hmm. Let me let me wreck this space up in a good way, right? Yeah. If I'm the only, then I'm going to set the bar. And I mm. want to make sure I set this bar high, right? So that that next young man or a young woman that comes in can say, oh, Miss Houston was here. Mm. And then after they leave, hopefully they can say, Miss or Mr. Whoever was there. And that's how you, that's how you build legacy. Yeah. That's legacy. I carry that same faith throughout everything. I carry it now in the workplace. I carry it now on the stage. I carry it now in my conversations with, with, other, with other youth that are just kind of questioning wh- where they should be. It's the support may not always be there. But what that doesn't mean is that you stop. What that means is that you become what you want to see mm-hmm. and go from there. Yeah, I definitely feel that from your story, for sure. Well, thank you, everyone. Like, circling back, sometimes you might be the bridge builder, right? That's and it. sometimes you, you, you might be the person that, that needs to do that even when you don't see it. Um, and that's okay. Um, it's difficult. You'll get through it. Absolutely. Well, Antoinette, Tomne Houston, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely yeah. amazing. No, thank you. Like, I appreciate your story. I appreciate you having me and speaking to me and having me on this platform. And uh, let's, I think the main thing is that I got from this was it's so key and critical to keep conversations going and growing. So thank mm. you for being an a advocate and an influencer in that way. We yeah, appreciate for sure. You. And yeah. I'll drop all of your information, all of... All of Tony's information will be down below for, for everyone that wants to follow up on, on all of the things that she has please, going on please, as a yes. Jane of all trades, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, thanks again. Thank you.